Once again, this is a participation type thing. I don't want to be up here just talking at you. I want to talk with you. So when I ask a question, I am eliciting a response. Does everybody understand that? Woo, I need that. All right. Now, I am rocking the Backstreet Boys in sync uh, headset here this morning, so I'm pretty happy about that. It worked out in first service, took a little while to get used to, but I think I'm good with it now. So, all right, some of the toughest topics that any preacher can speak about are topics that people are very familiar with, uh, topics that people know about, because what it allows uh, the listeners to do is get into the I've heard that before zone, and they kind of drift off on me. And normally I get to pick my own topics, which makes it a lot easier. Uh, but when Alex asked me to preach on the parable of the sower, it fell right back into this category. So I had to do a lot of praying on this. I did a lot more studying, and I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit can work through me and enable me to deliver uh, uh, a well-received sermon that's not so mundane, repetitive, and boring for you guys. So we're going to give it a shot, all right? Okay, that was the first question, all right? Woo, okay, here we go. Um, as we start off, I think it's really important uh, that we need to uh, get the definition of a parable that everybody understands, all right? And since I'm talking about the parable of the sower of the seeds, it's mandatory. And not only what a parable is, but most importantly, why Jesus used them so much in his ministry. So if you're unclear as to what a parable is or you're not quite sure, I am going to explain it for you. In a nutshell, a parable is a short story that teaches a lesson. We can understand that, right? And a parable is not a fable. Because a fable likes to use animals and trees and water and inanimate objects to get their message across, where parables definitely focus on the human characters, and, and we can relate a little bit more uh, to those. And also, parables are used because they are remembered. They're stories, right? If someone wants to teach you a lesson, and it's all about don't do this and do that, your tendency to share that with somebody else probably is not going to happen because you come across a little bit different than somebody that's going to tell a story. So parables uh, were used because they're easy to repeat, they're easy to remember, and they're much more approachable to people, and it does make teaching and preaching a little more entertaining than just telling somebody, don't do this and do that. Now, back in Jesus' day, in the day of the Bible, um, rabbis and teachers, they used parables quite frequently, and they were kind of graded on their ability to teach by telling these parables because the more entertaining that the rabbi was, the bigger following he had, the more popular he was. So of course, the rabbis wanted to be popular with the people, so they adapted a lot of these parables into their teachings. Now, Jesus chose to teach to the people in the same way. He used parables when he taught. And the thing is that people loved to listen to Jesus speak. They just loved it. And Jesus was very, very good at it. He had the storytelling thing down pat. And he was good because the first reason is he was the son of God, okay? Being the son of God, he's probably got the leg up on the rest of the people that are trying to preach, right? Secondly, he had a ton of experience before he actually started to preach and teach. Nearly 20 years before he started his ministry, he was already in the temples and in the synagogues, and he was speaking to the elders, and he was speaking to the rabbis and the priests and, and, and mingling with them. And if I could get the, uh, the first uh, slide up there. This is from the second book of, uh, of Luke, and it's 42 through 47. And what it tells us is that when he was 12 years old, that's Jesus, um, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. That's already weird right there, isn't it? Anybody in here have kids? Right? Now, I have, I have a true story I'm going to share with you, and Christine's here, and I think she's heard this before. There was a time, this is back before we had all the cool car carriers and stuff, but my parents literally wrapped me up and put me in whatever they had at that time, um, and it was sitting on my grandmother's table. They left my grandmother's house with my sister and left me on the kitchen table at my grandmother's house. 
Okay, I don't know how long it took them to realize that I wasn't there, but in short order, they came back and they got me. Now here, Mary and Joseph, uh, they leave Jesus, their 12-year-old son, behind, thinking he was in their company. They traveled for a full day. I mean, can you imagine going on a road trip today? You're going to Florida or wherever you're going, right? And, and, and you're driving, and like 24 hours later, you go, hey, where's the Jesus kid, right? Unbelievable to me. So then it gets even better. Then they began looking for them among their relatives and friends. Now, Beanie's already gone today. I'm picturing they're probably not all freaked out too much. They're probably just walking around, hey, have you seen Jesus? Now, today's day and age, we'd be wigging out. In fact, where's Teresa? I just remember camouflage on Halloween. The guys that aren't in my neighborhood don't know this, but if you'd have seen Teresa in the five-minute panic when Connor was gone, and it was Halloween night, and he was wearing camouflage, and it was dark outside, and it was extreme panic. So now for a full day, they're saying, hey, have you seen Jesus? And then... Then when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Hey, he's missing. So after three days, they found him in the temple courts. And he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And here's the best part of this uh, part of the scripture. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now let's put this into perspective. He's a 12-year-old kid. He's in the temple with all these religious leaders. And they were amazed at his understanding and answers. And the way I picture it is like, you know, you picture the temple, people sitting on those stone steps and everything, and everybody gathered around, and they're talking. And the rabbis and the preachers, they're all talking to the people there. And then they say something, and then they look over to Jesus, says, like, well, what do you think about that? And then Jesus would ask a question, and they're like, oh, that's a good question. What's your answer to that? 12 years old, he's making that type of impact on the people in temple. So 12 years old, he's preaching and teaching. Jesus is the master teacher, and he has this unique ability to take scenes from everyday life and allow them to teach us spiritual truths. And that's where the parables come into play. These images are very vivid to us. When we hear a parable, we can start thinking and we can see those pictures in our mind of who Jesus is talking about. And some 2,000 years later, we're repeating them. That's why they were so important in his ministry. So in today's parable with the sower of the seeds, Jesus is sitting by the seaside. That sounds like a... Sally's, what, how's that go? Greg, how's that go? Come on, you got to know that. Sally's by the seaside, south seashell, right, right there. So Jesus is sitting by the seaside teaching. He begins to talk about a subject with which everyone there is very familiar with. So are the seeds. So what's the topic he's talking about? <laughs> he's talking about farming, right? You got a guy with seeds. Now, here's the thing I look at. So he's talking about farming, and he paints a picture of a man that's walking down a road because he talks about a trampled path. So when he talks about this guy sowing seeds, he's throwing seeds on the ground, my image that I get is a guy with a beard because everybody in, every man in the Bible had a beard. We all know that, right? It's all depicted that way. So you got a guy in a beard, and he's walking down a road, and what's he wearing? He's wearing a tunic. Got to be, right? And on that tunic, he has a belt, right? And what's he wearing on his feet? Sandals. You get the picture. And then he's throwing seeds, so he's got a basket on his side, probably with one of those straps going across it, kind of bent in the middle, and he's kind of got a clasp like this, and he's reaching in, and he's throwing seeds on the ground. Here's the vivid picture that Jesus paints about this guy that's sowing seeds, right? And here's what he says about this guy sowing seeds. Slide two. All right, Matthew 13, three through eight. Jesus tells us, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. 
And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So Jesus speaks of a man throwing seeds. And some of the seed lands in good soil, and some of the seed lands in not so good soil. Some of the seed brought forth fruit, some didn't. Pretty simple. You guys all get that concept, right? Some good, some bad. So what we're saying here in this parable is if we plant the right seed in the right soil, it will flourish. Easy for me to understand, and if I can understand it, everybody can. So from God's words, we learn that the human heart and mind are like soil. They can receive seeds and produce fruit, and depending on the condition of that soil, which is your heart and your mind and what condition they're in, those seeds can either grow and produce a harvest or they can get choked off and produce nothing at all. That's the parable in a nutshell. That's the one I don't want to deliver for the next 20 minutes. We're going to go a little bit in a different direction from that. Because every time I've read this parable or I've heard this parable, I always say to myself, I get it. It's pretty simple. The seed is God's word. My soul is the soil. Make sure the soil is ready for the word and it'll produce fruit. But what I fail to see so many times is that the seeds that are planted in our hearts and our mind are not always good seeds. Now, the parable, yes, is speaking about God's word. So right inside the text of this parable, yes, this is God's word. They are good seeds. But other seeds that are planted can be bad, and they take root just as well as the good seeds do. And these seeds aren't planted by the Holy Spirit. They're planted by our friend the television. They're planted by the Internet. They're planted by our enemies. And they're even planted by our friends. Seeds fall on the ground every day, right? Thank you. Seeds fall on the ground every day. They come from flowers, they come from trees, and they fall on the ground. And now, here's the real tricky question. What is a seed supposed to do? Grow. It's got nothing else to do. That's a seed's job. It falls, it grows. That's all it knows how to do. So, when we talk about these seeds that get planted in our minds, good and bad, when they're planted in there, what's that seed going to do? It's going to grow, all right? Now, we have a choice, unlike seeds, okay? Because those seeds that come into our mind... They can be spiritual and very productive, or they can be earthly and extremely destructive. You guys get that? So we have a choice, unlike seeds, and we can choose to let those good seeds take hold, and we can nourish them, and we can fertilize them, and we can let the Holy Spirit grow within us. Or we can choose to let the bad seeds flourish. So the question is, what kind of seeds have taken hold in your minds? Do you nurture the spiritual seeds? Do you stay in scripture? Do you pray? Or do you allow them to be choked out? Do you find yourself in your life fertilizing the bad seeds? Do you find yourself going back to that website? Do you find yourself participating in the gossip at work or at school or within your neighborhood? Do you find yourself allowing that that bad relationship, that inappropriate relationship to continue on? Do you find yourself bellying up to the bar? Those are the bad seeds at work. And just like real weeds, since we're talking in parables here, the bad seeds do take hold, and they're hard to get rid of. Just like in your gardens, they're very, very hard to get get rid of, and they're always there. And if we don't tend to the garden, they're going to take over. Now, here's something I want to talk about, because not that it's a bad part of my childhood, but just a horrible, horrible memory, and you'll, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Not even really a crazy story, but I hate, I hate gardens. 
I really, I mostly hate, I don't even like things that really come out of gardens, but for the most part, I hate gardening because it involves weeding. And I hate weeding. That is the, mo- that, that is the worst job on the planet. Weeds are from Satan. There's no question in my mind about that. We had two gardens in my yard when I was a kid. One was way up on the back of the hill. And that's where we had, I don't know, the, I guess the, the, the better vegetables. I have no idea. And we had one on the side of our house. One on the side of the house you could water, and it was, it was okay. It was closer. And not that we had a big yard, but it was far enough that you had to walk back. No hoses would reach to our backyard. So you had to carry one of those. And if you guys remember this, if you're old enough, they, all of them were green. You had a green watering can with a white nozzle on the front, made out of plastic. And every time that nozzle would fall off, it would never stay on. So you couldn't sprinkle. It just had this, this stream of water that would come off. But in any event... You do all this work for these gardens, right? You got to weed the garden. We had to put up uh, like the, the fences around like our um, whatever we were growing back there to keep the animals away from it because they would chew on them and everything, right? And then you had to stake your tomatoes. You had to stake your peppers because they fall over and you're doing all this work. And I'm thinking, Pop, go to the grocery store because they're ready for you right there. We're doing all this work. And then what do you get out of the gardens in your, in your, in your yards? Everybody grows the same thing unless you're like way into this horticulture thing. Everybody grows tomatoes peppers, green beans, and cucumbers. And then what do all the neighbors do with all the fruits that, or the vegetables they can't eat? They try to pawn it off on their neighbors because they got too many of them. Plant less, okay? Then you can keep your stuff together. And the thing for me, I hate all those things. Those, those four vegetables are inedible in, in my menu. They are horrible, horrible, inedible objects. And as I mentioned in the first, the first service, until scientists come up with a bacon seed, and I was talking, Larry, are you in here today? He's not, he, how cool would this be if you could plant a bacon plant, right? And you wouldn't have to put up cages to keep the animals out. I'd have to put them up to keep my neighbors out. But could you imagine that the longer you let them on there, as soon as it sprouts, it's like soft, kind of the flabby bacon, and every day you let it gets a little crispier. You just walk over and snap one of those off. Yeah, that would be tough to keep the neighbors out of the garden. So anyways, as I get off on a tangent, now listen, without careful watch of your garden, you can wake up one day and find undesirable things growing in it, just like in your backyard. If you don't watch it and you don't stay on top of it, things grow in there that you don't want. And you may not have consciously accepted those seeds, but they're there. And then those bad seeds become weeds. And unless they are identified as weeds and you know they're weeds and you pull them out, those seeds will grow and those weeds will grow in the deepest and darkest places of your mind. They will cause you to recall things that you don't want to recall. They will cause you to have those lustful thoughts that you had buried back there, but somehow something brings that to the forefront. You've got to get those weeds out of there. Otherwise, they will continue to grow. And unfortunately, it seems that in my life, the bad seeds take a stronger hold than the good seeds. I don't know if that's true in your life, but it definitely seems that way in mine. And I've got to work a lot harder to keep those things from growing. It's true in real gardens because those weeds just take hold, and it can be true in our hearts as well. Now we're going to go back to this weeding thing because Jacqueline was telling me how she loved to weed after my sermon this morning. That's, weeding, again, is horrible. And the part that is, is the worst is, and I don't know if they're just in Ohio, but there's two types of weeds that are definitely from Satan. One of them is that weed that has all the prickles, like right on the shaft of that thing. Who, who weeds? You guys know what I'm talking about? That is, a, that is a God-forsaken weed, and you have to wear gloves to pull them out. And if you do have a hole in your glove, anybody that knows it, if you've got a hole in a glove, that pricker will find that hole in your glove every time, right? That's the first weed. And then the other weed, the other weed is, I don't even know what it is. I always thought it was a dandelion at one time. I don't think it is. It's like this big around when it gets to full mature growth. They like to grow in the middle of your yard. And 
you have to use like a garden weasel or something, you know, to get them out. But I use this real long screwdriver. And you got to like dig all the way around and get that soil all loose. You know what I'm talking about? And then you finally see the white part of the root and you're getting all excited because, oh, I'm getting there. Then you start digging around and you're inching down and inching down and digging and digging. And then you think you got that thing and you do that last little pop to get it out of the ground. And if you do get the root, you want to jump up and celebrate and show everybody in the neighborhood that you got the whole root. But what normally happens when you get that far? It breaks, and then what happens? That soil just, it falls right back on top of the root, and you can't even find a root anymore. And then you're all ticked off because you know why? It's coming back. You did all that work, and that root's coming back. And that's the whole thing with this whole seed deal. Bad seeds take root just like that in our hearts and our minds, and they're just as hard to get out. And the only remedy is God to remove those seeds from your brain and from your heart and from your soul, from your mind. God is there, and that means staying in prayer. That means reading Scripture. Keeping yourself away from the situations that cause those seeds to grow. You have to keep weeding that garden. If you let it go too long, the weeds take over. Satan wants the weeds in our garden. He wants them to choke out the good seeds. Arm yourself with scripture and enlist the help of the Holy Spirit to tend your garden. Recognize the weeds, pull them out, basically keep your garden clean. Now there are two seeds that I want to specifically talk about since we're on the sower of the seeds. Those two seeds are what I call the wasted seed and the rogue seed. The wasted seed is the one that we think doesn't have a chance to survive. We look at somebody and we determine that that soil isn't good enough. Nothing's going to grow in that soil. You make a decision not to do anything with that person. It's hopeless, right? It's dry, it's rough, it's rocky. It's not worth our effort. Well, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to blow a hole in that way of thinking, right? Right. Here we go. Here's my point. We are to be sowers of spiritual seeds. That's our job as Christians. We are to spread the good news of salvation, of God's mercy, his love, his grace, and his compassion for us. We're to sow the seeds of the Holy Spirit because you never know when a seed is going to take root. We can look at a person and make a determination that the seed won't grow. We look at that person and think, you know what? I know them. I know their situation. It's not worth my time. You don't want to waste your time on somebody you don't think is going to be receptive of it point is you never know when that seed's going to take root and how much easier is it to plant a seed inside your bible study groups your small groups here at church or among your other church friends and even the people that that you know and you have a good relationship with it's kind of like taking potting soil and putting a seed in it very easy to do that soil is receptive it's fertilized it's ready for the seed and it's a lot easier but how much harder is it and how much more important would it be what about the homeless guy on the corner does anybody know what his soil is like we have no idea. We blow that guy off. What about the goth kid at school? Nobody wants to talk to him. How do we know what condition his soil's in? What about your angry boss at work? Maybe tried planting the seed there. And what about your disgruntled coworker, the one that's just mad every day about everything that's going on? We don't know the condition of anybody's soil. They may be receptive. And we look at it and decide, you know what? I'm not going to waste my time on that. And you may be the guy that actually has to prepare the soil. Put the fertilizer down. Get behind that plow. And now when I think about this plow and I thought about it first service, we watched a movie. I think it was last weekend. Anybody seen War Horse? Anybody like that movie? I mean, seriously. I mean, it was called War Horse. They should have they called it Horse Goes on Vacation and Other People Own Him for a Short Period of Time because that's the only thing that happened in it. But people that did see War Horse, my condolences. People that haven't, don't, Okay. But if you did see War Horse, there's one part in that movie where this racehorse basically has to plow a field. And they use one of those, uh, you know, you walk behind it with a trowel. I don't know what that thing is called. You know, you walk behind it, it tears up the earth. 
That may be you with somebody that needs to have a seed planted. You may be the person that has to chop up the soil, turn it over, put the fertilizer in, throw the manure down, get it all ready, and somebody else may come behind you and plant that seed. That's not a bad thing. You don't always get the glory stroke when it comes to somebody's salvation. You may be the setup guy. And it could be years down the road, and then somebody comes and plants a seed in the soil that you help to till up and get it ready for that seed. And any Bill Cosby fans in here? Funny, funny man. He tells, this just falls right in play here. He tells a story about being a father and has a son. And the son finally gets old enough to, like, start playing sports. So the father's working with this boy. You know, he's teaching him how to catch and how to throw and teaching him the, the, all the ins and outs of the game and teaching him how to tackle and how to block and all this stuff with football. And then the dad's like coaching him through peewee football. And the dad's watching this kid just get better and better at this football game. And he's spending all this time, bad weather, rain and snow, and he's with this kid. He's teaching him. He's mending to his wounds. And then the kid goes to high school. And he does real well in high school. And he does so well that he gets a D1 scholarship. So he goes to college. And now he's on national television. And he's playing in this big game. And he's a wide receiver. And the quarterback throws the ball to this guy. And he catches it. And he runs into the end zone. And the father's like, that's my boy out there. Look what he did. This is awesome. We worked so hard for this. And then the camera comes in on the kid's face. And he tears off his helmet. And what does he say to the camera? Hi, Mom. Right? It's not about you. That's what we need to think about here. It's not always about you and you saving somebody, you being the guy to baptize somebody. It may be somebody that comes behind you, okay? And that's fine. That's your job as a Christian. I had Tony, my neighbor, ask me about, you know, some people he tries to witness to, and, and it's taken years and nothing. And he asked me, do I give up on that person? It's not really giving up. You may not have the right fertilizer or the right seed for that person. Somebody else may come into his life moments later and just hits the right cord with that person and plants that seed. Don't turn your back on someone because you think it's a waste of time because you never know what condition their soil is in. And I really want to be clear on this as well. I'm talking about planting seeds in soils that we're not really sure of, but that doesn't mean that we stop planting the seeds with our Christian friends, our Bible groups, our small groups, our church friends. Everybody needs God's word, but don't discount people just because you think their soil is bad. And now we're going to talk about the rogue seed. Have you ever seen a plant growing out of a brick wall? Right? You see a plant growing out of a crack of a sidewalk? How in the world does that plant grow there? And you guys, you guys share this experience as well as I do. You can take care of a plant. You can use all the right soil and fertilizer. And sometimes that plant dies. And it's in perfect condition. And here's this plant growing out of the crack of a sidewalk. And I am quite sure somebody didn't walk around and take that seed and press it into the crack of the sidewalk. Okay, it didn't mean to get planted there. Nobody thought that seed would grow there, but yet there it is. There are times when you don't even think you're sowing, but you are. People watch you and listen to you every day in everything that you do, whether you're going to work, whether you're going to school, whether you're at the gym, whether you're at the grocery store, they're watching you. They don't even need to know to think, oh, is they, are they a Christian? Let me watch them. They're just watching you as a person. How are you behaving? Even more so when you are a Christian, are people watching you? Of course they are. It happens all the time. And whether you know it or not, good and bad seeds are being planted by you on a daily basis everywhere you go. And you never know where that seed's going to land. So the question I have for you is, are you being salt to the world? Are you sharing the love of Christ? Are you planting seeds? Do you know you're planting seeds? Are you aware that you're planting seeds? Are you falling to the temptations of this world, kind of keeping Jesus tucked away? Do you wear Jesus on your sleeve or is he tucked down deep inside of your pocket? 
Where is Jesus in your life and how are you portraying him? You never know where that seed is going to land. Now, there are three sowers that I want to focus on this morning. The first sower is the Holy Spirit, and that's the one that this parable talks about. The Holy Spirit is sowing a seed in us. We need to let the Holy Spirit in. The Holy Spirit's like the miracle grow of the sowing seed world, okay? This is the guy you want in your garden. Let him in. Stay in Scripture. Stay in prayer. Have a relationship with God. Let the Holy Spirit come in and nurture that soil and let that good plant grow and let it produce fruit. Now, on the other side of it, Satan is another sower. We don't want him in. This is the guy we want Roundup on, okay? You want Satan out of your garden because all he wants to do is wreck the good seeds. He wants to plant the seeds to choke out the good plants, and you need to keep him out. And ironically, to keep him out is the same way that you keep the good seed in. Scripture, prayer, church, keep yourself out of the bad situations. Don't let yourself be exposed to those certain things. Nobody wakes up in a hotel room with somebody they're not supposed to be there with by accident. You don't open your eyes and go, oh, geez, how did I get here, right? That stuff happens. You can't let that happen. That's how we keep Satan out. The third sower is you, and you are to plant the seeds of the Holy Spirit everywhere you go. You never know where they may take root. We need to prepare our soil, our hearts and our minds to accept a good seed, and we need to nurture it. We need to keep the weeds out, let the good seeds go in, and produce fruit. And then that fruit produces more fruit. And it's like, what was that herbal essence commercial? And so on, and so on, and so on, right? Some of you guys are too young to know about that. So this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to be honest with yourself, okay? God knows when you're being honest or not. You need to be honest with yourself. Where are you in, the light, in your life as a sower or as the keeper of your garden? If I could have the third slide up. Questions for you. What kind of soil is in your heart and in your mind? Have you become hardened to the things of God? Are you shallow in your commitment to him and his work? Are you constantly distracted, burdened, defeated by the sins and the cares of this world? Are you bearing the kind of fruit that you should be bearing? Are you pulling the weeds or are you letting them flourish and grow in your garden? And lastly, are you sharing the word of God? Are you going out there and actively planting seeds, knowingly or unknowing? So the question is, where do you stand with God? You need to be honest with yourself. You can't fool God. He knows where you're at. So you need to come to that decision, make the changes that need to be made to prepare your heart for his word and to share it with others. Bottom line, take care of your garden and help somebody else plant theirs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for just allowing us to gather here today. Father, we thank you for this incredible weather. And as I prepared for this sermon, Father, you think about the sun and the rain that we've had and how these plants are growing, Father. And we pray, Father, that you allow the Holy Spirit to tend to our gardens, help them to keep the weeds out, keep the good, good seeds growing, Father, and let it produce fruit for you and for your kingdom, Father. We love you and we praise your name.